Lord, the amazing thing about trust is kind of like our chair. We didn't think about it. We just sat in it. We trusted it. It's an amazing thing about faith that if we really do trust you, then we're not going to be shaken. We're not going to test the chair to make sure it'll hold us. We're not going to walk around it to make sure that its legs are firm. If we just trust the chair, we sit down. And if we just trust you, we're not going to be worried about whether you can hold us, whether you can get us through, whether you can sustain us. For Lord, you bear with us. And Lord, as a church, today we take a moment longer to seek you. We seek you because you've asked us to continue to seek you. And so we pray. But our corporate prayer life, it only reflects what's happening behind closed doors in our prayer closet. And so corporately, we gather together to illustrate what's happening in private. And we're asking you to intervene on our behalf, to have mercy on our nation. Lord, we see the peak of COVID once again climbing. We're asking, heal our land. And the prescription for healing is the humility of prayer. Where we say as a nation, we've sinned against you. Lord, we have developed laws in our country that directly oppose your word. There's actions and attitudes that don't reflect you. We're asking, Lord, would you have mercy on us? We see the division. We see the division amongst churches. We see the division amongst races. We see the division between, Lord, those in a neighborhood and their own police force. And so, God, we ask that you'd have mercy in our nation. And we pray in this moment, in this season, in this time, that this church would let our light so shine. That we would be careful of our own attitudes. We would be checking our own hearts. We would not grow apathetic, but sin would still shock us and your word would still guide us. And Lord, though you tarry, let us not grow weary in doing good. Though you tarry, let our love not grow cold. And though you tarry, let us see it as your gentle spirit beckoning with the heart of people. I love you. And I pray, Lord, for our lost loved ones. Names of people that are flooding our mind even now. That you would seek and save the lost and you would use us, your ambassadors, your ministers of reconciliation for your glory. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. 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 Good morning, everyone. Great to see you guys. We're going to be in three areas of Scripture today. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Once again, Matthew 11, 1 Timothy 6, and 1 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, if you did not get the Bible as your gift. So we have a gift of a Bible for you. And if you did not get it, 
um, we want to make sure that you get one. So anyone that has a badge on, one of the staff or volunteers, they will be able to get your Bible for you. Now, you might be going, wait, I haven't come back to church. What are you talking about? A gift of a Bible. Well, we know now that you've not been watching online. So um, here it is. We have a gift for you, and that gift is a Bible. And we have a journaling Bible, or we have a Bible and a journal. That is the living water flowing upon you guys. Um, and you must be the anointed. And I know you guys are the anointed. I know that about you. Um, and if anyone else gets the living water, I'm actually getting the, the mist of the living water on me. Um, and I can just see this mass movement towards the tent as I see the rain coming from Saddleback. I'm kidding, Bev. It's a, we're good. <laughs> hey, um, so we're going to be there. As well, I want to let you know, I was with a police officer um, this past week. And before we began our connection, I said to her, hey, I want to thank you. I just want to thank you for being my police officer. And I want to thank you for what you're doing with all of the division. And she just stopped and she looked at me and she goes, I really appreciate you saying that. So here's the deal. I then asked her and I said, hey, our church, we like want to do something for you just to let you know, Coast Hills really appreciate you. Like we did the first responders thing after uh, all the fires in Aliso. We wanted to let them know. And that's just the kind of church we are. And I said, but what I don't want to do is like what people have done for me. When I was a missionary, people used to send me their old shoes. What am I going to do with their old shoes? Like it's, it's, I just paid for this container to come and it's filled with people's old shoes. Like what am I going to do with that? So I don't want to give you old shoes. And she said something to me. She goes, you know what? We love when people stop by, drop a card or maybe some cookies and say thank you. We just love that. So here's what I'm asking you to do. It's July 4th. We're getting ready to celebrate the Independence Day of our nation, right? So here's what we want to do. Food truck. We're not going to do an event here at the church because our job is to edify and equip you for the work of the ministry. And each one of you have a local police department. We are under the Orange County Sheriff's Department here. I've got one at Dana Point. There's one here in Aliso. I've called them all with great expectation to let them know we're coming. So here's the deal. I would love for you this July 4th to take a moment as a family Fill out a card, thank you for serving in our community, and just drop it by. And maybe with a cookie, maybe with a cake, maybe with a donut. I don't know. Just something that says, hey, we're thinking about you, and we're grateful for you. My family's going to do it July 4th. We're going to drop off at Dana Point, let them know, hey, we the people here at Coast Hills, at Coast Hills Church, we want to let you know how grateful we are for you. Now, here's what that means. you got to get the card. That means you got to get in your car. That means you got to bake the toll house. It's your responsibility. My job, I'm saying let's go forward. Let's all do this together. And I really would love to see the face, and I won't see them because you will, the face of the police officer that I saw when I said to her, thank you, I pray that you'll see that same face when you follow suit. Amen? Amen? Amen means I agree and you're going to do it. All right? All right. Let's get into the Word of God. If you remember, we're in a series to understand the heart of our Savior. And the heart of our Savior is rooted and grounded in gentleness. That's the new word for today. As we go through the nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, today we find ourselves in gentleness. Now, next week, we got a winner, self-control, okay? So, if you don't, if you don't want to like not eat dessert, don't come next week, right? I mean, if you don't, if you've got like a sugar problem, or if you, you're a foodie, or like if you've got, you know, like you have to see a movie every single night. Next week's not your week, okay? I'm just going to warn you. Next week is not like bring a friend week, okay? Next week is like you're a Christian and you just want to grow because I love the way the Lord puts self-control at the end and actually adds the, uh, uh, the and self-control. None of them else have the and, right? And self-control because they've all been leading to that one. But today, gentleness, gentleness. So would you go with me to the Lord in prayer? Lord, I am so thankful for your heart, and we find your heart in your spirit because your spirit knows your heart, and you've put your spirit in us, so if you're gentle, 
then we need to understand what gentleness is so that we can be gentle as well. And so my prayer today, Lord, as we discuss your word, would you enlighten our hearts? Would you fill us with your spirit for understanding's sake that we might know you? In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen, amen. All right. Gentleness, gentleness. Sometimes the best way to understand a word is to understand its opposite, to know its antonyms. And so every time you look up a word on dictionary.com, it always puts its antonym because it helps you understand what the word is not to be able to understand what the word is. And so the antonym of gentle is harsh. The antonym of gentle is wrath. The antonym of gentle is indignant. Now, usually these actions of wrath and harshness, they expose some kind of internal conflict. And so what's inside oftentimes comes out. But gentleness, gentleness exposes internal peace. Gentleness exposes what's already inside of you. Gentleness exposes a soul or spirit that is calm, a soul that is cool, a soul, an internal peace that is collected. Gentleness exposes someone who really believes in their heart. Whatever God has for me is for me. I accept God's plan. Gentleness exposes someone who trusts God with all of their heart, no matter what comes their way. They're just at peace. Gentleness? Gentleness exposes someone who's not reacting in their feelings. No, they're choosing to respond by their faith. And of course, for us, the best example of gentle is Jesus. He displays for us gentleness, and his spirit is gentle. And because his spirit is gentle and his spirit is in us, the reason why we want to learn what it means to be gentle is so that the fruit of his spirit could flow through us. Well, I've asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Let me set the scene up for us before we read Matthew 11. So Jesus in Matthew 10 has sent the disciples and he sends them out two by two and he gives them some direction about what to do. So he says, hey, I want you to go out. I want you to go to the Jews because we've got to give the gospel to the Jews to fulfill scripture. I want you to go into a house that accepts you and I want you to be there and I want you to just minister the gospel. Don't be afraid. I'm sending out as sheep amongst wolves. Like, this is not probably like the great speech that everyone's going, wow, you're sending us out as sheep amongst wolves. He even says, don't be afraid if they kill your body. Where, where are we going, Jesus? That's why he sends them out two by two. He doesn't send them out one by one. So he sends them out two by two, and he sends them out to cities. Cities. Well, it's obvious that Matthew is paired up with Jesus. And because Matthew is the one that records this story for us, he records what Jesus says. And so it's Matthew and Jesus, and they're out, and they're ministering in a city. Now, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, he also reports this story, but we've got to remember something about Luke. Luke doesn't write because of experience. Luke wrote by research. Big difference between Matthew's gospel and Luke. Luke wrote by research. Matthew writes by experience. And so Matthew and Jesus, he gets this special time, and he's out with Jesus on this mission trip. Now, let's take a look what Jesus says when they're out in their city. It's Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, that's important. Learn from me. For I am gentle. Everyone say gentle. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My teaching, my yoke, that's what they would call it. My teaching's easy. It's not like the yoke of the Pharisees. Like you got to do this and you, you got to do that. No, no, no. That's not the way that I am. I am gentle. Well, of course he's gentle. 
Isaiah would prophesy of him in Isaiah chapter 40. I'll read it for you, verse 11. He's going to feed his flock like a shepherd. He's going to gather his lambs with his arms. Once again, if you're taking note, it's Isaiah 40, 11. And he's going to carry, he's going to carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Hosea would write in Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, I'm going to draw them with gentle cords, with bands of love. The prophets would all say of Jesus that he's gentle. Of course he's going to be gentle. Of course he would announce himself as gentle. He's fulfilling the scriptures about him. He says, I am gentle. Now, when he comes on the scene, you remember how John the baptizer introduced Jesus. There he is. Imagine, crowd of people, he waits. He doesn't march in and go, hey, I'm here, baptize. Like, <laughs> you know who I am? I'm the son of God. It's my turn. Move out of the way. No, he waits. He lets the line happen. He doesn't come charging in. He's gentle. And at the end of the line, is he waiting his turn? John goes, do you know who you are? Yes, I know. We've got to do this. Let's just make this happen. And God says, this is my beloved son. And he's baptized. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now listen to his title. Behold, the Lamb of God. Now I know this is his calling. I know that his calling was to be the Lamb of God. He was going to take upon the sins of the world. He was going to pay the price of our sin, just like the lambs of the Old Testament. They were atoning for the sins of the people, and they would die there on the altar. Jesus would die on the cross. I know this is his calling. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But not only is this title his calling, This title also speaks to his character. He's the Lamb of God. I don't know if you've ever been with the Lamb. Um, We had a ministry in the Bahamas at the Adventure Learning Center, and we had many, many sheep. And every spring, we would have lambs. Well, there was this one particular time where one of the sheep, a ewe, she gave birth to twins and rejected the uh, the second born precious little lamb. I mean, sweet, white as snow lamb. Well, my daughter, Selah, could not handle that the sheep rejected this little lamb. So she asked me at five years old, dad, can we take this precious lamb home? Well, the very first thing is no. Like, it's not ever going to be potty trained. It's never going to be like a dog. But let me tell you something. We took lamb home. We took this lamb home because I was not going to say no to my five-year-old daughter. Now, let me tell you what she did. Everywhere that Selah went, the lamb was sure to go. She took care so well of this lamb. She, literally, she woke up every hour, every third hour, and she would bottle feed this lamb throughout the night at five years old. And wherever this lamb went, now she was five years old, she would hold the lamb and drop the lamb. And you know what the lamb would do? One time, she thought it would be great for the lamb to try to walk down with hooves on our wooden staircase. The lamb went all the way down. And you know what, she, what the lamb did when Selah picked him up at the bottom of the stairs? Bah. Do you know when Selah would sometimes forget to feed the lamb and the lamb was in her room for like six or seven hours? She would walk in the room and the lamb would look at her and go, Let me tell you something about a lamb. It takes a lot to get a lamb mad. I want you to listen to that for just a moment. It takes a lot to get a lamb mad. And what, this, and what Selah was to Lambo, that was the lamb's name, Lambo, and we named it Lambo because we thought, well, you're going to be a tough little sheep after you had Selah as a mom, right? So we named you Lambo. So here's, and she was a great mom, but you know, she was five, and we let her do the whole deal. So we named it Lambo, and what Selah was to Lambo, the Pharisees were to Jesus. Let me explain. You see, Matthew wrote topically. He didn't write chronologically. Matthew wrote to prove points. 
And so he pulls this thing out of this mission trip with Jesus, and he says, I am gentle. He writes that down. And then if you were to go on, and I'm going to encourage you to read it at home tonight, in Matthew chapter 12, he begins to prove his topical point. And in Matthew chapter 12, he says this. Okay, so one day, the Pharisee, uh, the, one day, me and the disciples, we're out walking through some grain fields. We pick some grain on the Sabbath day and pop up Pharisees. There they were in the grain field. I can't believe you're letting them eat on the Sabbath. Well, there's another day. It was a Sabbath day. Matthew goes on to say in Matthew chapter 12, and Jesus, oh, he's, he's going to heal someone in Matthew chapter 12. He's going to heal someone on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, oh, they get furious at Jesus. I can't believe that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, that he would allow his disciples to pick grain fields so they attack Jesus. And now Matthew proves his point. Maybe you'll turn there. Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 18. He writes of Jesus, Behold, my servant. This is coming from the prophet Isaiah. He remembers this scripture. I have chosen my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I'm going to put my spirit upon him, and he'll declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel. Listen to his gentle spirit. He will not quarrel nor cry out nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. Till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Gang, let me explain something. It takes a lot to get a lamb mad. It takes a lot to get a lamb mad. And what Matthew writes of him is this. I get it. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. No matter what the Pharisees do to him, he's going to be gentle. No matter how they come against him, no matter what they say to him, no matter what they do to him, even crucify him, he will be gentle. A broken reed, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. I get it. His spirit is gentle. Well, you might say his spirit is gentle. Absolutely, even through till today. How many of you are glad that Jesus didn't come back like five years ago before you were saved? I am. Well, I was saved five years ago, but my point is, how many of you are glad that Jesus still hasn't come back yet because you have lost loved ones that need to come to Christ? Anyone there? And how many of you have lost loved ones or friends who hate God? How many of you have loved ones or friends that absolutely hate God? And aren't you thankful that God hasn't gone, you hate me, zzz, gone? Let me give you a name. Stephen Hawking. Let me express the gentleness of God. I want to read a quote. We are each free to believe what we want, and it's my view that the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created the universe and no one directs our life, our fate. This leads me to a profound realization. There is probably no heaven. There is no afterlife. We have this one life to appreciate in grand design of the universe. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. Another quote. Before we understand science, Stephen Hawking said, it's natural to believe that God created the universe. But now science offers a more convincing explanation. What I meant by we would know the mind of God is we would know everything that God would know. If there was a God, which there isn't, I'm an atheist. Stephen Hawking. If you like, you can call the laws of science God, but it wouldn't be a personal God that you would meet and put questions to. Remember, I'm an atheist. Now I need to let you know something else about Stephen Hawking's. Stephen Hawking had ALS. ALS is a disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. We know it here in the United States as Lou Gehrig's disease. But I want to let you know something about Stephen Hawking's life. Listen carefully. ALS usually takes its victims within 30 months. Most people die within 30 months. About 20% of people live between 5 and 10 years. But there are some abnormalities to the disease, like Stephen Hawking, 
who lived 55 years with the disease. You want to tell me that God's not gentle? Someone who hated God, someone who was an atheist, who spent his life trying to prove that there is no God by the laws of science, a genius, a man who was given so much intelligence, God says, I'm going to let you live 55 years because I want to get your attention. I love you. I want you to know I'm gentle. And I'm going to do everything I can over the course of 55 years, an abnormality with this disease called ALS, to show you're a miracle, to hopefully try to get your attention. Reminds me of King Manasseh, the most wicked king in all of Israel. In fact, when you talk about Manasseh to that world, people, the Jews would spit. If you said Manasseh, they'd go, ah, you know, I mean, it was just, Manasseh was just like, are you kidding me? He was the most wicked king. And you know how long he reigned? 55 years. 55 years. Josiah. Josiah was the most righteous king. Like he just brought reform to all of Israel. He got 38 years. And you're studying this one day and you go, wait a second. How does Josiah, who, lived, who was righteous, get 38 years, but Manasseh gets 55 years? Oh, God, you're proving your gentleness. Because at the end of Manasseh's life, he gave his life to God. Oh, God, you were just allowing Manasseh to live so that he would give his life to you. Oh, the gentleness of God. He's not out to get you. He's not the cosmopolitan killjoy that whenever you do something wrong, he's going to spank you from heaven. No, that's not who our God is. He's a gentle God. But this gentleness, I am gentle, oh, it opposed the way that the Jews thought about the Messiah. Let me explain. The Jews didn't want the Lamb of God. They wanted the Lion of Judah. They wanted God, the Messiah, to come into Jerusalem, and they wanted Jesus to conquer the Roman world. It was the same attitude of Elijah. I'll take you back to a story in 1 Kings chapter 18. You remember, he calls down fire from heaven, and then Elijah says, kill the 400 prophets. And I love the way that the Bible says, Elijah said. God never said kill the 400 prophets. Elijah said kill the 400 prophets. Well, that gets Jezebel really mad. And if you've noticed here in our nursery, there's no children's that are named, there's no child that's named Jezzy, right? Like Jezebel's just not a name that Christians give their children, right? Like we, maybe we would do Deborah, maybe we would do Priscilla, but Jezebel, like we don't go to the nursery, oh, let me hold little Jezzy, right? Like there isn't a Jezzy in our nursery. Jezebel hears of this, the wicked queen. I'm going to kill Elijah. That's what I'm going to do. So Elijah runs away in fear. And he runs up a mountain to meet with God. And God, well, this huge wind comes. This is like Lord of the Rings, kind of like Gandalf walking through the mountains kind of wind. And it's like this wind comes and shakes the mountains and moves the rocks. In fact, I don't know if you know this. We went on a hike um, last week, two weeks ago, to uh, Mount Whitney, to Lone Pine Trail to see Mount Whitney. Well, this week, there was an earthquake, 6.2, and the campground that we were at, where our tent was, there's now a rock the size of this tent sitting where our tent was. So I'm really thankful we went two weeks ago and not this week, right? Just imagine, I'd be like Pancake Pastor. Our church would be in a much different place today had we had gone last week, right? So here's the deal. This wind comes through, the rocks move. We just saw it at Mount Whitney. You could look it up. God wasn't there. I think Elijah's a little disappointed. Like, God, you got to wipe out Jezebel. Come on. Then an earthquake comes. God wasn't there. Then this fire rages through the mountain. Elijah's like, where are you? And then this, Elijah, come on out. And Elijah realized that God was in the still, small voice. Come on out, Elijah. What are you doing here? 
I'm the only one left. And I thought you were going to wipe them out with an earthquake. I thought you would wipe them out with a fire. I thought you would wipe everybody out. But now here I am on this mountain. And God says, you're not the only one left. I got 7,000 people that have not kissed Baal. But because you're such a complainer, you're going to give your ministry over to Elisha. I'll see you in heaven in just a few chapters. Listen to me. Elijah didn't get it. He wanted God's destructive power, but he came in a still, small voice. The Jews, they wanted God's destructive earthquake and fire. They wanted all kinds of wind to just wipe out the Romans. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 21, he comes riding into Jerusalem lowly on a donkey. Wait a second. (laughs) We want you on a stallion. We want you with armor. We want you with a sword. We don't want you coming in on a donkey. That's not our expectation. But that's Jesus. And though he was not going to conquer Rome, he was going to conquer sin and death so that we would truly be able to have rest for our souls. And despite their thinking and the way that the Jews thought about him, he was going to be true to the character of his calling. Look back with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. The Bible goes on to... I'm going to go back into verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I want you to circle that word all. Because I gave you the Bible, you can write in it. I just gave that direction. It was my gift to you. So circle the word all. Come to me, all who are heavy laden. Do you hear the call? The call is for everyone to come. Everyone to come to our gentle Savior. Now here's what that means. That means you can come. That means your lost loved one that hates God can come. Luke helps us understand this plead of all. Now, you don't need to turn there. I'll tell you the story. It's Luke chapter 7. You see, after Jesus makes this plea, everyone can come. Everyone can come. There's a woman in the crowd in that city. And she's a prostitute. We had a ministry in Fort Lauderdale where we would go on the streets and we would minister to the prostitutes. And I'll never forget what one told me, I can't come to Jesus. And I said, why? She goes, because I'm the lowest of the low. When you say the word sinner, she says, I'm below sinner still looking up. That's what she said to me. So there's a woman in the crowd that day. She's a prostitute. She's been used and abused by men. She has given her her life to this kind of lifestyle. But she hears Jesus, gentle Jesus. Everyone can come. Well, Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to his house for dinner. She didn't care. And there she is. Imagine the moment, right? There, Jesus sitting around this table on the ground. She comes in. She's standing behind him, the gentle Savior. She begins to cry. Then she drops to her knees. She's crying so hard that she begins to wet his feet with her tears. And then she takes her veil off. Now, I don't know if you know this, but hair... Hair is the attractive thing to a Mediterranean person. So that's why they cover their hair, okay? It's not the body, it's the hair. So they cover their hair in that culture. So what she was saying is, I'm giving you the thing that attracts men to myself, and I'm going to lay it down at your feet because you said even I can come. And I came. And Jesus, he doesn't sit at the table and go, Oh my goodness, I'm at Simon's house. This is really embarrassing. Why are you here? They're going to think things like, they'll probably write a book called The Da Vinci Code. Like, you need to back away. What are you doing? Like, if you come here, they're going to think maybe I hired you the night before. (laughs) Back away. No, he doesn't. You know what he says to this woman? The gentle Savior? I said, everyone can come. And that means you. And he said, peace, I forgive. I forgive you. You see, everybody can come. 
And then Jesus says, when he makes the call, I want everyone to come. He then says this, I want you to learn from me. Learn from me. So we see it. He taught the disciples, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who meek. You see, we can learn from Jesus what it truly means to be gentle. If we just look at the very first attitudes of the B attitudes, we'll see the gentle Savior teaching the disciples. And Jesus, he didn't just teach them. Oh, the power of the words of Jesus was that he also lived what he taught. And that's why the sisters of Lazarus, most theologians believe that Lazarus was a younger kid. And the sisters sent Lazarus to Jesus and said to him in John chapter 11, Hey, Lazarus is sick. The one whom you love. I love that. His character was gentle. So much so that when they send to him, they say, Hey, listen, the one you love, we know you love him. We've seen you with him. We know how you act with him. In fact, Jesus, you're so gentle, children run to you. You're so gentle that Jairus, who was a leader of the Jews, who opposed Jesus when his daughter was sick, you're so gentle, he knew exactly who to come to, his enemy. He knew that you could do something for Jairus. To the woman who bled for 12 years, she knew after going to everybody else that if she just reached out to her gentle Savior, that she could be healed, even Gentiles. They knew of the gentle Savior that the Syrophoenician woman said, would you please help me? You don't approach someone who's rough and gruff. You're afraid of them. No, you go to someone who you know is gentle, but the greatest picture of his gentleness, the proof of his spirit of gentleness, it's there on the cross. And he looks at his mom. And he says to his mom, and he looks to John. Now, I think John was the only one there, and he he just must have been desperate because you don't give your mother to the son of thunder, right? And he looks at Jesus, looks at Mary, behold your son. And he looks at John and says, behold your mom. But as I've told you before, I'm more convinced that Jesus knew who was best to disciple John, to move him from the son of thunder to the apostle of love, the mother, gentle mother of Jesus. And there on the cross, he proves no matter what, No matter what I'm going through, no matter what trial I have, what flows out of me is gentleness. Gentleness. Now, gang, I need to let you know something. Gentleness cannot be confused with passivity or weakness. It can't be confused with being passive or being weak. Because let me tell you about Jesus. The Jesus that rode into Jerusalem in Matthew 21 on a donkey is the same Jesus in verse 12, only 10 verses, excuse me, seven verses later. He's the same Jesus that marches into the temple and turns the table. I want you to write this down. Gentleness is not the absence of strength. It's the absence of using strength sinfully. Gentleness is not the absence of strength. It's the absence of using strength sinfully. I need to express like we did when we did the grace and truth series. Jesus is not 50% grace and 50% truth. He's 100% grace and 100% truth. In the same way, Jesus is 100% the Lamb of God, but he's 100% the Lion of Judah. Would you watch this video? Take a look at this video if you would.
felt great. That was like a, a feeling of completion. I just ended up on my knees, praying, thanking God, because it was overwhelming to me that we had been able to do that, that we survived, that she survived. When we did the rescue, um, we didn't know if there's anybody left alive in our, in our family. One thing that really struck me was the grandmother and the aunt were just awesome, loving, wonderful people. And uh, it just made me feel so happy that the Moa's got a wonderful family. Let me explain. This guy, he decides, receives the call, I want to be an army ranger. And I'm going to put everything I have into learning how to be an army ranger. So much so, I'm going to learn it so well, it's going to become immersed in who I am. And in the midst of my greatest trial, I'm just going to respond in what I've learned. I'm so confident in my training, it's become who I am that when I saw this girl that was still alive despite the fire, he became the Lion of Judah. And I'm going to put into practice what I've learned. I'm going to run out, get that girl, bring her back to safety. But then at the end of the video, what do you see? The Lamb of God with the little girl. You got this army soldier, army ranger, who saved her life as bullets are flying, playing hopscotch with her, with his life, with it when her life was on, uh, saved. Gang, you see, gentleness, a gentle spirit is like this army ranger. A gentle spirit is someone who's learned the ways of the lion and the lamb, and confidently rest in the training to respond to all of life's circumstances. This is how we truly find rest with our souls. We learn from our Savior. We watch the lion. We watch the lamb. And we learn it so well, it becomes who we are. So in the midst of our great cross experience, in the midst of our crossfire, it's become so much who we are, we don't begin with a wrathful response, an indignant response, a harsh response. No, we've learned the way of Christ, that what flows out of us is his spirit. That's rest for your souls. That's where you don't walk out of that marital conflict and, well, you're frustrated because of what you said or what you did. That's where you're able to walk out of what your child did that absolutely embarrassed you and you're able to walk out of it not having to say sorry because the Spirit of Christ flowed through you. That's where you're able to walk out of that situation where someone looks at you uh, uh, as you're standing in line and says, back off, man. I heard a story this week. Someone looked at, the friend of a friend was telling me, someone looked at his friend and said, back off, man. And his response was, boom, and just punched him in the face. That's not the lion and the lamb. Gang, you can find rest for your souls. Peter did. It's 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to read it for you. Listen to what Peter wrote. Impetuous impatient, loud-mouthed Peter. Listen to what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Do you hear, Peter? If you're going to suffer, just trust God. Let your spirit be so at peace with whatever God allows to come your way that what flows out of you is a gentle trust in God. You see, this impetuous man became God's gentle man. That's what he became, God's gentle man. Peter was truly changed by God. Now, like the gentleness of Jesus... Peter learned to rest in his relationship with God that whatever came his way, I'm going to be true to the character of my calling. I'm not going to blow up. 
because I want Jesus to flow through me. I'm going to represent not just the lion, but I'm going to represent the lamb of God as well. Now, some of us, after I use the marital situation, after I use the kid situation, and after I use the COVID situation, some of you right now are looking at me and you put your head down. I know what you're thinking. Man, I got a long ways to go. I am not this gentle person that you're talking about. I like the lion of Judah. I am like the Jews. Come on in on the stallion. What's this donkey thing? You've got to let people know. Well, maybe I, like you, have got a long way to go. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, like I asked. This is why I believe that Paul would tell Timothy this direction to each one of us. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, but you, O man of God, let me say, O person of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue patience, but you, person of God, pursue gentleness. You see, we all probably got a long ways to go. And that's why Paul told Timothy, keep pursuing gentleness. Now, I love our Savior. And here's where we wrap up. You can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I love our Savior, and here's why. Jesus wants to build this character in you. He wants you to become his gentle person. And he's a great coach. And I remember one time I was praying for unconditional love. And God gave me some people in my life that I begged him. Please, I don't want to learn unconditional love anymore. I'm tired of that lesson. It's like paying for patience, right? It's like you'll be on the 405 for 405 hours, right? It's like I was praying. I was like, God, I just want your unconditional love. I want to be like you. And he gave me six people in my life when I was praying for unconditional love that I wanted them crucified. I wanted the earthquake of God to shake their worlds. I wanted the fire of God to come down and consume them. I wanted the wind of God at least to knock them down. And God reminded me, as I was praying these prayers for them, God reminded me, I thought you wanted me to teach you unconditional love. So I'm giving you people to help you learn unconditional love. And because he's such a great coach, and he so desires for us to be like him, let me tell you something. He wants the gentle character in you, so he's going to do this. He's going to give you difficult people. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, he says this. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Now, let me tell you what he's saying here. There's a fight in the church between two women. And these two women are having an argument. And he says in this, with dealing with these difficult people, he says to them, could you let your gentleness be known? I want you to have a testimony like the Savior. I don't want you to be so hot and so apathetic. I don't want you to be on one extreme or the other. I want you to be moderate. I want the spirit of gentleness to flow out of you. The balance of not using strength sinfully, but living in the strength of God despite the way that you feel. He's going to give you difficult situations. The Corinthian church was the most difficult church known to Paul. Four letters went in between Paul and this church. We only have two. Second Corinthians is the last of those letters. This church, they doubted Paul's apostleship. They said, you never showed up when you were going to show up. And they were saying all of these things because they really struggled with Paul calling them to live a life of righteousness in the midst of such a pagan world. They didn't know how to do it. And in this difficult situation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, I'm pleading with you with the gentleness of Christ. God was still building Paul. He was still making Paul his gentle man, giving him this difficult situation. And Paul says, I'm pleading with you. But most importantly, gang, I've asked you to turn to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want you to see this because we've been given a difficult task. And God wants us to use a difficult task to make you his gentle person. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 7. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. 
such a beautiful moment every time I would see Andrea with that precious baby. Crying. But as soon as the nursing moment happened, soothed, calm, cool, collect. Paul says, we came to you as a mom nourishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you've become so dear to us. Gang, I know we got difficult people, and I know we're living in a difficult situation. And God has given us a difficult task. It's the task with difficult people and difficult situations to impart the gospel, to impart the gospel of God to difficult people. I know it brings fear. I know it brings some concern. In fact, on my personal Instagram this week, I posted a video and I said, I wonder if Christians could be as passionate as some of the movements that we see for holding a sign, ripping down a statue. I wonder if we can just walk into Albertsons and go, hey, do you know Jesus? (laughs) We can't do that in South County. People will think we're strange. Do you know how strange I think it is of some of the things that I see on TV that people are passionate about? And we can't be passionate about ministering the gospel to difficult people. Well, what if they make fun of me? Let his gentleness flow out of you. What if they reject me? Let his gentleness flow out of you. You see, in the midst of our difficult, with difficult people and difficult situation, the difficult task that we've been given is to impart the gospel. Put it into practice July 4th. Show up with a card. Show up with a cookie and just say to a police officer, hey, I want to let you know, God bless you. Jesus loves you. We're thankful for you. Listen, we went out last night and there was a guy that was with us. We went to Harbor House Restaurant. There was a guy who was with us and I never let anyone pay. So he went to the bathroom and came back and it was paid for. I go to pay. The waitress is crying. Oh, he was so sweet. He paid the bill. And on it, he said, God bless you. God bless you. She's like crying there at Harbor House. God bless you. Because someone decided to be a gentle person and impart the gospel. Gang, maybe by faith we say like Jesus, I am gentle. And we go and minister through gentleness this week. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that you are gentle because you put up with me. And I got to say, with about the 200 people that are in front of me, you put up with them. You didn't burn up the Pharisees when they were against you. You didn't burn up Stephen Hawking for 55 years. He led so many people against you. But your forbearance displays your gentleness. And I know we have difficult people in our life, and I know that we have a difficult task ahead of us. But I know that your gentleness is the spirit by which you want to minister. So would you grant us the grace of the spirit of gentleness? In Jesus' name.